This is the Find Your Forte podcast, episode 43. You have the passion. You have the education. Now it's time for the inspiration. Get ready to step up to the podium with purpose. This is the Find Your Forte podcast with choral director and lifestyle entrepreneur, Ryan Guth. Hey there, Choir Nation. This is Ryan Guth with the Find Your Forte podcast, and I am sitting here today with Topher Keen. Topher is a longtime listener of the Find Your Forte podcast, long time meaning about a year because we literally started about pretty much a year ago. Uh, we launched our first episode on April 1st. I'm saying we as an I launched my first episode um, with myself Helen Kemp, no, it wasn't Helen Kemp, myself, Joseph Flummerfelt, and Ryan Brando. That's episodes one, two, and three of the Find Your Forte podcast about a year ago. So I would encourage you to go back and listen to that when you're done with this episode today at ryanguth.com forward slash 001. 002 and 003 for episodes 1, 2, and 3. But Topher is here. He's actually with me in person at my studio in New Jersey. And uh, we're going to have uh, just a wonderful episode. He's done some pretty awesome things in the last few weeks, actually, that have brought a, brought him a lot of attention. And uh, I think you're really going to enjoy today's episode. So, uh, Topher, Choir Nation is ready. They're at the edge of their chairs, folders open, and looking your way. Are you ready to deliver the downbeat? I am ready, Ryan. All right, Topher. So if I were to meet you at a cocktail party and I were to ask you what you do, which is the worst question in the world, um, what would you do? Now that we're clearly not going on a date because that's a, ter- <laughs> a terrible question to ask anyone, um, what do you say to that person? You know, it's a hard question to answer, Ryan, and it really depends on the person asking the question, the context that I'm in. Um, Most of the time, it's musically. I'm I'm meeting somebody at a conference or I'm meeting a fellow conductor. So Mm -hmm. I tell them, you know, I teach private voice lessons. I run some musicals here and there, and I co-direct Men's Barbershop Chorus in the Phoenix area. I also do a lot of talking around at conferences for music educators, and I'm the president of my local Kodai chapter in Arizona. So that's okay. So if you had to put that in like one sentence, what would you say? (laughs) I'd say I teach young people to sing. Wonderful. See, this is an exercise that I need in my life as well. I'm so glad that I'm asking the questions and that you are not asking me. <laughs> so, so you have a, a bit of a portfolio career, uh, which I have been saying time and time again. I think this is the, where we're headed. Very much so. Uh, ever since being involved in public school and knowing that that was just not for me, uh, students were for me, but the the the, act, the environment was not for me. Um, there's a certain amount of freedom that comes along with having a portfolio career. Uh, what of these things that you said? Private voice, speaking, barbershop, uh, conducting, doing the, um, you know, running your Kodai program. What takes up the most amount of time in your schedule?
You know, I really don't do a lot of t- direct time tracking mm-hmm. because my schedule varies so heavily. So mm-hmm. right now I'm, I'm on an East Coast tour, you know, mm-hmm. popping through New York, New Jersey, mm-hmm. Boston, Maine mm-hmm. for two, three weeks. Mm-hmm. And then I'll go back to Arizona and be back in the daily schedule. The, the biggest thing is probably voice lessons, either mm-hmm. in person or over Skype. Mm-hmm. I have students here in Boston and Maine and New York who stay on with me over Skype okay. while I'm in Arizona. And then I have some over in the UK, one in Paraguay. So how do you like that? The Skype thing? Does that work? As as a voice teacher, yeah, it's challenging. And mm-hmm. what I say to my students, I, I don't change my rates between um, Skype and in person. Mm-hmm. I say it is different, but not worse or better. There are different qualities to both mm-hmm. that make one an advantage or disadvantage. And some students will want one or the other, mm-hmm. and some will benefit from either. Uh, in person, obviously, there's a lot more I can hear in your voice. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more I can see physically. There's a lot more I can model. I can mm-hmm. play with you in live time. Mm-hmm. Skype has that, that lag that if I play with you, it's going to come out a half second later. Of course. Of course. So there's a lot of difficulties there. However, with a well-formulated online studio, mm-hmm. when you are actually doing the work to do some prep and not just popping on to a, to a mm-hmm. Skype call, mm-hmm. you can record backing tracks ahead of time. You can record exercises ahead of time. You can play anything live that you need to and then have them sing back a cappella afterwards. Mm-hmm. And a lot of software these days I use Skype, but I also use Zoom, which comes with built-in recording features. So I record every single lesson, automatically upload it to YouTube, and my student can go in and find a playlist that grabs just the lessons with their name in it. And oh. they're all private, unlisted videos, so no one else finds them when they're searching on YouTube. But my student can go in and look at their playlist and see, oh, here's my last 12 lessons. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. That's something that, that you know, we always encourage students to record their we lessons. We help them. But... but that's something that not every student does, but if you if you do it for them and yes. it takes nothing more than hitting the record button at the mm-hmm. beginning of your Skype call, mm-hmm. then that's a, just a really wonderful value add to, Very much to so. a lesson. And that's what I say to the, the students is that there are obviously, you know, I don't need to talk about the disadvantages mm-hmm. of losing an in-person teacher. There's of we, we all know the advantages of, of in-person coaching. But there are advantages to the online thing. Like, mm-hmm. like you said, you know, just push a button. I don't even need to push the button. Mm-hmm. It just automatically, every call is recorded and I can delete it if I don't need it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and in addition to that, they can go back and rewind, you know, an exercise and watch it four or five times in a row. Right. They can, they can, you know, adjust that on their end. If they download the, or if they have it on YouTube, mm-hmm. YouTube has, um, speed changing features so they can play it at half speed to mm-hmm. learn the song slower and it doesn't affect pitch quality they can play it at double speed if they want to make the exercise harder all those options are right there in YouTube as well Very and they can send it to their friends or to their parents or to anybody else and say hey here's something we did you know most of us voice so you're teachers you're a very 21st century voice teacher very much so most of us voice teachers don't want a parent sitting in on the lesson you know we'll, we'll want them there if they want to be there for a couple lessons but after a while it becomes a pressure thing for the kid they feel like they're performing for someone else they start to get uncomfortable it starts to be uncomfortable to have the parent there every time mm-hmm. unless that's just your style uh, i i forbid yeah. parents from coming into a lesson but if a parent is paying you a lot of money for something they want to see the results of that and often that's only at the concerts right or if their kid will sing for them which most kids won't right but if you say hey you know your kid has all these lessons recorded on video mm-hmm. i'm not going to send you the link because my kid trusts me so mm-hmm. if the kid has the link they can choose to share it with you yep. but the kid can send you a specific lesson and say hey mom check this out from 10 minutes to 20 minutes right or i can say hey why don't you that's, ask your mom yeah. to listen to this that's great. Yeah. That's you could deliver a conference presentation for like Nats on this mm-hmm. alone. Okay, so that's that's the private voice teaching thing, very 21st century. Mm-hmm. I think that's very cool. Choir Nation, if if you're not teaching online, maybe you should be and start to learn these things because I mean, if you're gonna have a portfolio career and you're piecing together your life, your income from from multiple streams, um, you're going to do some type of coaching yes. in your in your life. I mean, uh, something that I do, 
uh, marketing coaching and things like that. Doing um, private voice coaching is something that many choral directors do. One, because they don't make enough money doing what they do, right? Whether they like it or not, they still do it, right? Mm -hmm. And there's other reason is because there are people that want to study from you. Mm -hmm. They like the way you do it. Uh, what has nothing to do with anybody else's voice teaching. It has nothing to do with mm-hmm. the fact that a, a, a student has a preference for you and they'll hire you yep. whether they're 3,000 miles away or not. Yep. My clients are very loyal and, and a, a part of that is because they're they're not paying for voice lessons. Mm-hmm. What they're paying for is to have me in their child's life. Right. And I've had several really heart-wrenching conversations with mm-hmm. parents where they've sat down and said, you know, if my kid was actually getting worse at singing, mm-hmm. I'd still rather them be working with you because they're happier every time they come back. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they feel comfortable talking to you about things that they can't talk to me about. I have, you know, I, I have right. these well, I mean, it's like, right, Of course, you have this... Uh, psychologist role yes, as a, very as much a so. well that's and I think that's the thing that that um, we're gonna I feel like this is a good segue into some of the things that you and I have been speaking about online recently which mm-hmm. is this you know investment into you know from um, you know from from the heart to the head to the soul and uh, you know I'd read the last episode that we had on the podcast was you know put the text first. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forget that. I think that was the name of the, the episode. Put the text first, and it was about making the connection, the emotional connection with the art before all the technical and the musical components, uh, because you know it it means so much more. It doesn't matter necessarily whether it's it's all perfect technically, mm-hmm. because the music moves audiences when it's genuine. Yes. Um, this is something I've learned a lot from the world of barbershop. That, that mm-hmm. they are very focused on clear delivery of the text mm-hmm. and unified delivery of the text and understandability of mm-hmm. the text mm-hmm. in a way the classical world isn't very much. Mm-hmm. Um, we tend to default as classical choral musicians more to beautiful tone than understandable tone, mm-hmm. and we'll focus on the diction after the fact. We want that tall, beautiful tone, and then get the the clear, clear crisp diction on top of that. Right. Um, barbershop world is very much. I mean, you need that that beautiful locked in tone mm-hmm. in order to get the overtones ringing. Mm-hmm. But if you can't understand the words it's useless it's a storytelling medium right so i'd encourage the, right, the and your audience isn't sitting there with a program with the lyrics exactly in it. exactly so yeah. i really encourage the the audience out there in choir nation to go out and find just go on youtube find some of the recent barbershop champion choruses there's mm-hmm. some great choruses out there there's some great quartets out there watch four or five minutes and just mm-hmm. see you know could my chorus do something like this mm-hmm. could they engage their entire bodies their entire faces the, the entirety of their mouth instrument mm-hmm. in delivering the text in a way that i've almost never seen in a classical and what is what is your your group is called sounds of the mouth sounds of the mouth sounds and where did that come from um and you know you bat around names and you're looking for some ancient latin term for music that hasn't been used a thousand Mm -hmm. times and you're looking for some variation on a pun of some musical you know sons of pitches or whatever (laughs) that hasn't been used by every acapella group in the entire east coast right so so we we came across uh after thinking about it as a group for a while we had a few guys uh throw out some some terms of sounds of the mouth we're like oh yeah that's great sounds of the mouth that's that's what we do because it's not just one sound it's all the if, if maybe like you know you're the, the city where you were was at the mouth of a river no, or something. Not at all. It's just it's okay. just we like we also like the little flaming lips logo um, from a branding standpoint. So all of our stuff has that mouth picture on. I like it. And yeah. you just and you just recently earlier showed me the the fancy bolo tie designs yes. that you're going to be yes. sporting. Yes, having been Arizona's premier youth men's barbershop chorus, and he's we, wearing concert black right now. Just just so you know, along with the tuning fork around my neck and which the tuning is fork, part of the brand in concert purple around your neck. <laughs> now, okay, so so 
you have a traditional choral background as mm-hmm. well Goodness. as a barbershop background, private voice teaching. Mm-hmm. You're definitely Topher is definitely into um, a lot of the online, uh, you know, entrepreneurship stuff mm-hmm. that that I tend to gravitate towards. So we definitely connected on that level. Um, but before we get into all that, I wanted to just find out from you. Um, where did this music thing come from for you? Can you bring us mm-hmm. back to when you decided this was going to be a good idea? Sure. So there were a few pivotal moments. I look back at my childhood and watch you know videos from when I was a baby, and I see three months old grabbing a microphone out of my cousin's hand and mm-hmm. babbling into it and singing along with the radio before I could say words, mm-hmm. and constantly wanting to be on stage and performing and doing every play and doing every choir and being super excited by it, but I never saw that as a career option. Mm-hmm. I saw, okay, you could be a professional singer, but solo singing never really appealed to me in any way. You know, I mentioned this to you before that it feels like a hobby. It's like doing tennis. Like, okay, that's fun, but mm-hmm. it's not my life purpose to play tennis. Right. It's not my life purpose to be a solo singer. And so I thought, well, that's the only career open to musicians. You know, I don't play any instruments. Mm-hmm. So it's either solo singer, which sounds really boring, sitting in a practice room all the time learning notes. I want to mm-hmm. be around people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then my senior year, I went to summer camp and met a bunch of friends who said, oh, hey, I'm going to major in music education. And I thought, that's a job. That's a thing. That's an, that is an actual job. <laughs> These Here's choir the... teachers, like, they're getting paid to be here. This isn't just a thing they do for fun. That's true. That's amazing. I could do that. Which brings up another problem, <laughs> yes. which is which is when somebody says, well, what do you do for fun? <laughs> and you say, my life is fun. Very much so. Right? Much you're, so. You, know, it, you know you're doing the right thing mm-hmm. when you don't dread Monday yes. because Sunday night and Monday night are the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, sure. and uh, I mean, you might start dreading Sunday depending on the church gig you've got. But. Well, that's why this is <laughs> another reason why uh, your your host does not work at, in churches anymore. Same here. He was he was tired of being fired by Jesus. So, um, um, but yeah. So I mean, for a do you do you consider yourself an unemployable person, or do you find yes, one hundred percent. I. Uh, I worked in schools for several years mm-hmm. and did pretty well. I, I had very supportive admin. I was really lucky. Mm-hmm. If I had had the kind of admin that I hear about my colleagues having, I would have been fired in, in a month in. But I had very supportive admin who hired me because of the strength of, of what I was able to do with the kids and the mm-hmm. connection I had with them. So they trusted me and gave me a very long leash. Mm-hmm. And they, they, unless things got like really out of hand, I never really had a, a side conversation with an admin. Mm-hmm. They just said, we know you know what you're doing. We trust you. The parents wow, love you. That sounds like a glorious Blessed. place yeah. to, yeah. yeah. Hashtag blessed I was I was in a very you know very grateful situation there and uh, but it just it got to the point where jealousy from colleagues and and infighting and politics and all the stuff that goes around it what I often said was I got into music teaching to do music and teaching mm-hmm. and I'm spending most of my day not musicking and not teaching well that was yes that's I think that's a common problem in mm-hmm. choir nation mm-hmm. I think we spend a lot more time lesson planning yep. for Rehearsals that we don't even really know what's going to happen. You can't really plan for a rehearsal. You can make an outline of things Mm -hmm. that you'd like to get done, but there are so many rabbit holes that you can jump down. Um, Well, it's like you writing a script for this podcast. You know, we have no idea where the conversation is going to end up. Right, and the best part is not knowing. Exactly. And uh, that's something you can't you can't really sell that to to an administrator. Unfortunately, they don't get it. They don't. They they don't get it. You know, um, if you, you take something more concrete. Like math, yes, and you you can Structure. pretty much define the, the, a result of a lesson. Mm-hmm. Um, where, but in, in in music, there are so many things. There's character things to be yes. learned in yes. lessons. There's musical things to be learned in mm-hmm. lessons, and uh, and 
I'm spending time, yeah, lesson planning. I'm spending time putting Excel spreadsheets together for the for the trip mm-hmm. and meeting or about t-shirts this, and yeah, right. Meeting yeah. right, we're meeting about this uh, literacy initiative that doesn't actually apply to me because I'm teaching it anyway. Yep. I'm teaching deep reading sure. in my in my class, and I. Yeah. For years before anybody even brought deep reading to my attention. And for some reason, several schools have started accepting coding as a foreign language to satisfy literacy requirements, but not accepting music literacy as a, as a language requirement. Because obviously coding is more of a language yeah, than music well, notation is. Clearly. Yeah, clearly. I mean, I mean one, one of the soapbox topics I get on... One and zero are, are, are ter- terrible it's lyrics. It's true. Um, <laughs> I, uh, one of the soapbox topics I get on a lot, though, is it's very easy to blame parents and admin and the other peripheral people outside of the music world who have a lot of control over mm-hmm. our jobs here in Choir Nation. Um, but... I have yet to meet a single parent or admin who didn't have at least eight years of public school music education. We had them. Mm-hmm. They were our students, and we failed them. Yeah. And th- we cannot do much to change them now. Some of them will change, it's, but it's the same thing with the political climate. You look at someone who's voting at age 50, it's very unlikely they're going to change who they're voting for. They, they've known that. They've voted the same way for 20, 30 years. But someone who's going into their first election might be a little bit more malleable. They might be a little mm-hmm. bit more willing to change, maybe not this year, mm-hmm. but maybe in four, five, six, ten for years. For sure. Yeah. So when we look at our students currently... Well, once you start paying taxes, you'll, you'll, see, you'll, see, you'll see my side of the force. 100%. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> and, and to those in Choir Nation who are, who are being unsure about how they handle their taxes now that they are self-employed, you do want to default to doing everything the right way because the second you start taking personal checks from parents for your side projects, you are going to get red flagged by the IRS and you'll probably get an audit sometime in the next 10 years. So everything's above the board, no cash in my business. But but, uh, those students we have, 95% of them are not going to be professional performers. Probably 80% of them will not sing much past college. Probably 60% of them won't sing past high school. I don't have hard numbers, but Mm -hmm. based on the classes of students I've seen, based on my friends who sang with me in choir in high school, based on my friends out here in choir nation, I think we would say the vast majority of choir students are not singing 10 years later. No, they're not. But they are on parent-teacher organizations. They are voting for budget initiatives for schools. They are principals and admins and vice principals. And if you don't make that connection with them now, if you teach them Mozart's birthday instead of teaching them to match pitch, Mm. they come back and say, well, you know, I never really needed to know Mozart's birthday Mm. to be the CEO of Infotech or whatever. Maybe my kid doesn't need to know it either. Exactly. We are constantly teaching absolutely useless skills. We're teaching musicians class, mm-hmm. and we are teaching about music class. Right. We are not teaching music class. We're well, not having the problem, them singing which, and playing. Which means, which means that you as a music teacher are putting yourself before your students. Yes. yes. If, right, you know, and we have this problem, we do have this problem, and I'm not going to get back on my soapbox because <laughs> exactly. I had a very large soapbox a few weeks ago. Um, <laughs> but but there is there is this issue with with um, teachers that put uh, their ego first, and so. teaching Mozart's birthday has nothing to do with with what a child needs mm. to be a good community member. I mean, that's the thing: is have you have you created a lasting impact on that child? If yes. you know in ten years they're no longer going to sing, mm-hmm. are they coming away from your class a better person? Or an elitist snob, yep. or someone who doesn't care about mm-hmm. music, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so that's that's the issue that I see. That I think that we agree. Yeah, I mean, I have I have a thousand ideas for books and, and articles and things in the back of my head. But mm-hmm. one that I'd really love to write is how classical musicians killed classical music. 
And it's this idea that I've had for a long time that you go to any opera symphony, mm -hmm. you go to recitals in colleges, you go to any of our concerts mm -hmm. and you sit next to the person who has just enough music education to mm -hmm. know that maybe you shouldn't clap between movements of a symphony. Right. And someone next to them starts to clap after the first movement and they go. Pff, pff. Right. The judging face comes out immediately and it's an excuse to show I know this thing and you don't know that thing. Look how smart I am. Look how much better I am. You right. don't belong here. Right. And if you spend uh, a generation yeah. telling your audience they don't belong there, what do you expect is going to happen? Right. They're not going to come anymore. Oh, of course. And that's what's happening to the symphonies, to the operas, to a lot of the great mm -hmm. arts institutions across the country. And it's in, well, it, it's insecurity mm -hmm. on the part of the scoffers, yes. not, not the ones 100%. being scoffed yes. at. Yes, and you can't, this is something I get, I get, again, on a soapbox for all the time, but you can't hold people to a standard that you're unwilling to educate them to. And right. so I, I was saying before, you know, if you're rehearsing a group and you say, guys, the G-sharp is out of tune, mm -hmm. but you haven't taught them how to find a G-sharp on the staff, mm -hmm. then you're giving them useless information. Right. When a choir director you're just stops... showing how much you know. Exactly. It's an, it's an ego thing. It's, right. look, I know this thing and you don't. When you stop the choir and say, you're flat... And then you start again. You fix nothing. Right. All you're doing is showing, hey, look how much better my ears are than yours. You guys didn't notice you were flat, did you? Right. I noticed you were flat because I'm the teacher. And right. I'm smart. Which means somebody yes. bullied you as a child or something, and <laughs> now some... you have to prove it to Everyone. other children. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, you're an adult, and now you're trying to prove it to children how the, smart you the are. The more I've grown up and the more I've worked with teachers, the more I've learned there aren't any adults. There's just tall children in, in adult clothes. That's, we're, we're all, it's all high school. You, yes. go in, you go into the teacher's lounge in your middle school, in your high school, mm -hmm. in your college. You go into the teacher's lounge, and you hear the same gossip that you hear at the lunchroom tables. I would take lunch duty because I didn't want to take lunch in the oh, teacher's room. Oh, you never go to the teacher's yeah. lounge. Choir Nation, if you're in the teacher's lounge, get the heck out of the teacher's lounge. <laughs> Because that place is, I mean, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And if you want to spend time with miserable people, live <laughs> in the teacher's lounge. It is just awful. The first, I'm, I think I already told the story on the podcast a while ago, but first time and the only time I went to the teacher's lounge when I was teaching for nine years, I sat down and somebody goes, Cindy sits there. And I'm like... <laughs> Well, I guess I'll be getting up and going back to my office, you miserable, horrible human being. <laughs> I mean, I didn't say that, but that's what my, you know, that was inside. There's a reason almost all of Choir Nation eats lunch with their kids in the choir room, and probably not in the teacher's Right, yeah. exactly. We know where the good people are. <laughs> exactly. Oh my, yeah, or yeah, your, I mean, your colleagues, you know, are the only ones, the one, your musical colleagues are the only ones who understand what you're going through, you know? And typically, it's a little bit better of an environment uh, there, but... But yeah, so we, we do certainly need to address um, this ego thing, this elitism thing. Um, I was having a, a conversation today um, with a colleague who submitted a, um, an amazing article that I read to a, uh, an organization in our, in our field. Um, and you know, this is you know, a thousand word article, beautifully written, didn't even receive a response, like a thank you for your submission. And I'm going, this is the problem. Nobody, nobody, res they don't, we don't respect each other. Like, and it's a it's, it's, it's zero-sum zero game thing. I keep coming back to it. I just want to shake everybody and say, guys, support each other. Just support each other. 
Yeah, more successful choral musicians will only bring more people into the choral field. There'll be a new audience which will spread out. I, I love that you we connected all win it to podcasting. together. Yeah, ah. podcasting is a great example of this because podcasting is a very small world, relatively. Of course, it's, I mean compared to mass media, there's there's nothing compared. To, I mean, podcasting is teeny teeny little drop in the ocean. Right. So any new successful podcast ideally will bring in some people who've never listened to a podcast yes. before, who may now listen to your podcast, yes. who may now listen to your friend's podcast. You make new connections that way. Yeah, one of the choir podcasts dropped off the map and I'm like that sucks yes yes like it should like there should be more yes. choir podcasts you don't want to be the only good choir podcast because no one no no choir nation member who mm -hmm. loves you know getting engaging choral content from a podcast situation is going to be able to be satiated by just the find your forte podcast exactly they need other options right. as well right and 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 when, in the long run there are going to be people that, are, that will gravitate towards mm -hmm. me towards different people mm -hmm. Um, and you know different content creators in the choral world, and it has it doesn't have to do with me, the individual, mm -hmm. or the other person, the individual. It has to do with what the listener or what the subscriber likes the most. It's yes. it's the same it's the same thing as your your Skype yep. your le lessons. If somebody wants to work with Topher, they're going to work with Topher whether he's three thousand miles away or whether he's he's in my backyard. Mm -hmm. He's choosing to be your student. Yes. He's choosing to be my listener. Yes. You know, he may listen, I listen to many podcasts, mm -hmm. but there are some that really resonate with me and there are some that I will, I will only listen to if there's a guest that resonates with me. Very much so. So, so, but that doesn't make that yeah. podcast a bad podcast. It just means that it's not for you. Right. I'm just not a. I'm not really a buyer of yep. that particular. And, and it product. may not just be. It may just be that at that time in your life, it's not right. for you. And it may, you may come back to it later and need it. It, it reminds me a lot of the research that's been done around uh, coaches in general, but specifically in music. Mm -hmm. That you'd think people who get to a really, really high level musically, someone like a Yo-Yo Ma or Pablo Casals or something like that, mm -hmm. or, or or Pavarotti or Renee Fleming, is getting really the best coaching from the very beginning. You think they probably have the best teacher in the world. Right. But you go back and you look at these case studies and. Almost universally, they do not have an amazing coach in the very beginning. Mm -hmm. What they have is a, that really supportive, grandmotherly piano teacher who's the only one in the town, mm -hmm. who just gives lots of stickers and has Hershey's kisses after the lesson and tells you you did a great job and builds up your confidence mm -hmm. to the point where you love music, you love practicing, you love lessons. Right. Now you're ready for the hard... Russian piano teacher with a ruler over the knuckles telling you to play it again, play it again, play it again, right. because that's what you need now. You, right. You've got you got the confidence. You're going to keep coming back. Right. There's like fa there's phases. There's phases yes. in your life of, of what you need to move to the next yes. level. And, and, and none of them are bad or good. It's about what you need in the moment. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. You need somebody to nurture you at first. Mm -hmm. And for but me, not, but not too much because that makes yeah. you that makes you a terrible person. Yes. And then <laughs> right. And then you need somebody to rate you over the coals and mm -hmm. teach you how to work. Yes. And then you need somebody to bring you from that, from you know to the very next level. Yes. Then you need the you know the Bella Lagosse, uh, you know gym gymnastics coach, <laughs> exactly. to, you know, to get exactly. you over the over the high. Yeah, I mean, I mean, for me, it also connects to me as a coach that mm -hmm. that we need to know what kind of coach are we at our best. Right. And for me, I'm much better at being that nurturing, supportive, build up the self-confidence, right. build up the self-esteem, get them to pursue their life's dream, that kind of coach. And at a certain point with almost all my students, mm -hmm. I've had to sit down with them and say, look, you know, I'm happy to continue teaching you. I still have more to give. I'm, I'm happy to do it. But if you really want to continue and be, you know, say a Broadway star or put out your own album or do this next thing, right. you might be better suited to find a, a highly skilled technical coach right. who's going to hold you to a high standard and maybe yell at you and maybe make you right. cry. I'm happy to hand you off. Yeah, because I'm not going to make you cry. 
if you come in and tell me you didn't practice, I'm going to say, okay, I understand. Let's get as much work done as we can today. Yes. So That's coordination, you know, you, you cannot be everything yes. to everyone. And, and that's, that is the, I think the major point of insecurity that we have is that, is that, um, when the music, uh, the classroom becomes a me, me, me about the, about the choir director, about the, about Mozart's birthday and the things that don't really matter to the kids, you know, you're trying to be, you're trying to be that all inclusive, you know, that, that everything to everyone type of teacher when your kid potentially needs to just move on. Um, or maybe they don't really actually belong in choir. Maybe you should encourage them to find their forte. You should encourage them to find what it is that they're passionate about. Mm-hmm. There, there would be children that, would, that will you know, drop out of choir, and I used to hold grudges. Mm-hmm. But then I started to think, I said, you know what? My choir is better when the kids who want to be here are here. It's not a numbers game. It's not an ego game. You know, I would rather have 36, like, amazing, lovely students that are, that with less inherent ability than, than, you know, a hundred students in my choir um, with attitude problems and more inherent ability uh, because, and, and that I've begged to stay. Yes. yes. The, the first job I ever had was seven kids in the choir out of a nearly 700-person um, mm-hmm. high school. And the choir program had been cut the previous year. It had only been reinstated because almost every single one of those kids and their parents came to the parent-teacher organization meetings, they came to the board meetings, mm-hmm. they came to the city council meetings, and they got the budget reinstated for a point two, a 20% teacher that would just teach that one choir class. And they, they spent a long time searching. Wow. They happened to come across me, and I said, okay, I'm, I'm free enough to do a, a couple days a week high school choir. I'll mm-hmm. take it. And took it from 7 to 15 and the next semester to 35 and, uh, and loved those kids. But mm-hmm. the fact is every one of those kids was bought in. And I would rather have that choir than 150 yes. people who are just like, eh, yeah. choir's okay. My first year I had 28 in the seventh grade, in the mm-hmm. seventh grade chorus. And they were like, they were like my best little pals. Mm-hmm. Like, because they were, because the program had gone, gone through some things. And it's exactly like what you're saying. Transitions. When, you know, it, it's, it's those moments of strife. Yes. In those, those, those times where, where, uh, you know, like if you come into it, let's say you come into a program that's been almost demolished, you know that the kids that are with you yes, the ones want that to be there. Yes. That actually might be the best program mm-hmm. for you to go into mm-hmm. rather than rather than wanting wanting to go into the Rolls Royce program. Yes. Well, I mean, if you think about it, like the like what happens with antibiotics, you know, when a, when a doctor prescribes a full round of antibiotics, mm-hmm. it's not to take it until your symptoms are gone. You mm-hmm. take it until it's done because it'll kill everything. Right. You take it until the symptoms are gone. All that's left is the bacteria that were strong enough to survive the antibacteria, the antibiotics, mm-hmm. and they will come back right. and stronger than ever. And that's, if you try to destroy a program and you leave three or four kids who really want choir mm-hmm. with the right teacher, they will come right back and they'll be antibiotic resistant and they will build a giant program. Right. And that's what you want. You want to isolate down to those four or five kids that are necessary. Right. It's, I mean, you don't want to go in and burn every high school choir program in the country, uh-huh. but when it happens, there's an advantage there because yeah. what you're left with is the cream of the crop. Weeding is wonderful, yeah. But it's but is that but again, it's weeding based on mindset and mm-hmm. attitude, mm-hmm. not on talent. Not on talent. Nope. Not on talent. That's what I make very clear. Choir Nation has nothing to do with talent because mm-hmm. you know Choir Nation just as well as I do and Topher does that we can teach kids to sing. Mm-hmm. We can't teach. 
And we can teach kids to be good people if we're good leaders. Um, but but if a kid doesn't really want to be there, or a student, let's say that. you're in a university, doesn't really want to be there, let them go. Mm-hmm. I, and I've said this, I'm almost an extremist mm-hmm. about this uh, with audiences as well. Mm-hmm. And I had a colleague who said, oh, well, you know, what we should do is set up the band to be at the end of the concert because parents won't leave until their kids have performed. And the the choir was small, the band was huge. They said, we'll have a much bigger audience if the band stays at the end. And I said, if parents want to leave, let them leave. I don't want an audience of a thousand people who don't, don't want to be there. Stop begging people to like you, Choir Nation, right? Stop, stop Yeah. Stop begging people to like you, right? That's the thing that we have a problem with, and that's the thing... That is that is causing issues in the choir world. Mm-hmm. That's the elitism. That's the that's the. Well, I don't get paid enough for what I do. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't have an audience. Why don't I? Do that? Well, it's because it's because you're. Nobody wants a ne- nobody wants to entertain a needy person, yes. and it and it, it it goes all the way from from choir to dating. Yep. You know, I yeah, mean, you have to give to get. You have right. to give something of value, and you, you've been saying this online for a, a lot more recently. Mm-hmm. This idea that if you go out there expecting attention, expecting praise, expecting payment, expecting mm-hmm. an audience, you're not going to get that. Right. You need to go out and provide something of value for a long time and beat that payment. Yes. And it might take years, it might take decades before anyone recognizes the great work. Right, and that's okay. That's okay. Find a few people that like it and love it, and those yeah. people will help you find a few more people, and you'll right. get from ten to twenty to a thousand to a hundred thousand. You might only get to 100 in your lifetime. But if you change the lives of 100 kids, that's amazing. If you open up 1,000 new ears to choral music who've never heard it before, that's an incredible life legacy to leave. Right, because there is is that growth beyond that you never see. You you know, those 100 people that you affected... Mm They go out. They go out. I should say, infected, and, and they go out. They go out and infect yes. other people. Yes. There was there's this business book that I really believe should be read by everyone in Choir Nation. That is a, that is a, whether administrative or um, whether a, a conductor uh, for a choir. Anybody that has an audience to serve. There's a book called Zombie Loyalists. And it's it's by Peter Shankman. Now, Peter's mom, Nancy, was on the podcast a few episodes ago, and Peter is a very successful business person. And Zombie Loyalists is is a book about infecting people to you know really it's businesses, mm-hmm. but this can absolutely be uh, you can you can draw a parallel to to uh, any kind of like I said any kind of uh, group that has an audience mm-hmm. to serve. Uh, infecting people that infect people mm-hmm. that infect people to what you're doing and to your cause and and uh, how to p- properly serve them. Yes. And you know, I, I recently got like recently got this fifty dollar this letter in my mailbox in New York that said, you know, this is this professional ensemble. Um, it's that time of year. You know, give us yeah. fifty bucks. And I'm like. <laughs> What did you What did you do? Yes. You just turned me into like a zombie hater. Yes. You know, like what did you do to show me value? Yes. So you know, if you're thinking, well, I'm in, I'm in public school right now, um, 
you know, I'm not a business, Ryan. I'm not a business Topher. I'm not, I'm not a freelancer like you. But you it's are. Like, you're in the business like, of recruiting students. Whether or not it's in the business of making money, you're in the business of recruiting students and recruiting audiences. Right. Because if you don't do that, your job disappears. Right. You're, you're, looking for, you're looking for disciples of yes. choral music, yes. not of you. You're looking for disciples of choral music. Are you making disciples mm-hmm. of choral music? Are you mm-hmm. adding to Choir Nation? Mm-hmm. That's that's the most important. And in many ways, that's the cure to this zero-sum game that you've been talking about. That making a disciple of you, if you see the people who are following another choral colleague of yours as disciples of them, Mm -hmm. then you can see that they are not disciples of you. So now it's a competition. But if all you're doing collectively is creating people who love choral music and want to engage, yes. there's room for more than one choir. In We're a all life. on the same team. We're all on the same team. But the second you start thinking of, these are my singers, I created this, I did this, I have the connection to them and no one else could, yeah. then you start pulling them away from choral music and they limit their opportunities. And I definitely did this early in my career. I know singers from the first couple of years that I was working who would say, oh, I can't really do another choir after this because I had such a powerful experience with you that I can't enjoy other choirs. That means I failed my job. That doesn't mean I did a great job. That right. I did so well that they can never enjoy another choir because other choirs suck. It just means that I did such a specific thing and didn't expose them to what they needed to continue their choral journey mm-hmm. that when they ran into a traditionally run chorus, they were like, oh, I don't know how to handle this. This doesn't fit in my mental block for what a choir mm-hmm. is. And that's in some ways a failing of the profession because I, I don't think anything I'm doing is wrong. I think I hope that everybody would want to connect with their mm-hmm. choir on a mental, emotional, spiritual level and that we would we would strive to, pr- to promote literacy within our choirs and to promote a deeper understanding of the music. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I'd have kids in musical theater rehearsals that would say, hey, can I just go over in the corner and do the solfege to learn this song instead of listening to you bang notes wrong on the piano mm-hmm. to a director? And then they would get knocked out of the show right. because the music director doesn't want to hear that right. but you know that's that's a problem it's a problem we need we need to work together you as want a to team make people dependent yes. on you yes. you know it, you, you have to just make them infected by mm-hmm. choral music mm-hmm. um and just how how powerful it is i mean there's there's people that you meet all the time you know that are i'm sure not even involved in choral music they're like you know i sang in regionals <laughs> i sang in all states when i was a kid and oh, i met somebody friday night that that was in nebraska all state mm-hmm. You know, she she edits a magazine now, but she was in Nebraska Allstate, and she like remembers how amazing that experience was. Like, okay, so why is it why is it the Allstate director at that level of success that is infecting people more so than your average yes. your average high school, middle school, whatever choir director, community choir director? Like, why why are we? You know, is, there's a reason. Let's maybe we'll rewind. There's a reason why, you know, there's a reason why some of the the big names that I've had on my podcast are where they are. And, it's, and you'll notice a common thread is that their mindset mm-hmm. is providing value, yes. not not throwing people off or extracting value. Or yeah, extracting it's, it's, value. It's right. providing before extracting. Right. They got there because they're. Their value adders. Yes. There's there's another great business book that that I'll recommend to to Choir Nation. Uh, jab 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 right hook. Gary Vaynerchuk. Gary Vaynerchuk, which is fantastic. The original title was Give 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 Ask, but he wanted something that would sell a little bit better. Right. But the idea is basically that for every time you're making an ask of your audience, you mm-hmm. should be giving at least three times, and then having something like that in your head, whether it's five times, ten times, a hundred times, whatever it is, mm-hmm. you need to give a lot more than you're getting. Right. And so for me, I, I had these kids taking private lessons with me over over Skype way before I started recording the lessons and uploading them for them and sending them detailed homework assignments in in email and saying, here, do these specific exercises. I started having kids uh, send little videos of me practicing Mm -hmm. during the week. They 
would take a little five minute video of an exercise or something on their iPhone and say, hey, I'm really struggling on the high mm-hmm. G here. What am I doing wrong? Can you help me out? And that takes me two minutes to answer. It's a great value add. And I, I also do math tutoring. So I say to all my kids, hey, if you're taking lessons from me and you're having trouble with your math homework, text me a picture. I'll right. solve the problem for you. I'll help you right. out. And I've had kids going into their math finals like saved because they're like, oh crap, I don't know how to differentiate an exponential equation right. and, and just you know help them out there. But this is doing more and more and more. And I would never tack on a fee to my rate mm-hmm. for something like that. Right. But the more I do things like that, the more when I come to someone and say, hey, I'm coming into town. Oh, would you like to do an in-person lesson for a couple hours? Would you right. like to you know talk to your local church and see if we can put together a show? You know, I need a couch to crash. Do you have a friend in the area who can do something? Right. They're more than happy. They're, they're begging to give me something. Right. Because I've given so much in return. Exactly. This, this human psychological you give so much principle. first. Yes, you give so much first. Right. That this, this human psychological principle of reciprocity mm. is so, so strong. That you even just give the smallest amount. That there's, there's charities that will send you these letters with a nickel enclosed. Mm. You can see it through the little plastic window oh, right, on the letter. Right, right. And you get it and you're like, oh, there's a nickel. You open it up and you're like, you're not going to throw away a nickel. It's money. Right. Right. So you open it up and you take the nickel and it says, oh, would you mind donating us $5? Because right. we're really trying to help here. We, we wanted to give you something. And even though it's so transparent parent what they're doing right they get double the open rates and double the donation rates than anybody else because they're given a little something first right even if they're asking for more in return exactly. that's not what you should do out there choir nation you give the five dollars mm-hmm. and then wait a few years to ask for the nickel back mm-hmm. but but giving something first in some way is is super valuable and right. whether you're doing that with your with your colleagues right. by putting up videos of your best techniques and sharing your warm-ups and sharing your insights on facebook right. groups or whether you're doing that with your students by spending extra time helping them prepare for their auditions or answering their emails or being there for them during lunch when yeah. they really need someone to talk to whether you're doing that for the parents by spending extra time to talk to them about how they can support their children's practice routines right. how they can practice with their students at home i get so frustrated with choir directors who say you know go home and practice the music why aren't you guys practicing the music and they provide the choir with zero tools to practice the music they do not teach literacy they do not provide practice tracks and they say practice your music at home how are they supposed to do that there's no way i have i have two music teacher parents and if they didn't have time to bang out notes for me i wouldn't have been able to practice my music no no not at all i mean because yeah yeah you can teach them to play piano you can teach them to sight sing in some form whether it's solfege numbers whatever high school student without practice tracks yeah, I mean, I yeah, or you provide a practice track, or or you find a YouTube video of the recording, and you you know they they rehearse their part enough in, in choir that they can pull their part out from by ear, or whatever. That's right. not ideal, but you give them something. Right. If all you're giving them is a piece of music they can't decode, mm-hmm. then you're you're just you're holding them to a standard that's completely unfair. Right. Yeah, actually, in 2016, all you have to do now is just point them toward the resource that was already generated. Yes. You know, like. To get them to where you need to get yes, yes. You barely even need to be a choir director to be a choir director. <laughs> it's totally true. I mean, seriously. Yeah, yeah, I go mean, on musiclearningtracks.com or some variation yeah, yeah, of that. Whatever. You'll, you'll find almost every piece of standard rep has some variation of yeah. learning tracks available When I was somewhere. a kid, it was Sylvus Woodshed. The Sylvus Woodshed, which was like a, a, it was a MIDI site. I remember that one. Yeah, they had all the masterworks up there. So when I was learning the Brahms Requiem in college, I went out and got all yeah, the tenors. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I sounded like a computer when I was, yeah. you know, I, you know, but uh, <laughs> but it was, yeah, it was, it, it was, but in 2016, I mean, there's so many people that have just that have already made the tracks, mm-hmm. put them up, throw them on YouTube or whatever. And, and I personally have, know three young choral entrepreneurs like ourselves who stepped out of the full time game to build their own uh, 
tracks learning business. Yeah. They just own their own recording equipment. Like, they they'll record whatever you want and they'll do originals and they'll do whatever you need. Yeah, exactly. I know three separate people who are running these businesses now and there's dozens more yeah. online. I just have I just have a talented high school student who does it. There you go. There you go. <laughs> and he does better tracks than I would. Well that's one that's wonderful. And this is a great point I actually wanted to bring up earlier mm-hmm. that when we were talking about knowing what you're good at and what you're not good at mm-hmm. and just focusing on that, that that for most of us our students are better than uh, than us at many things. If you were trying to figure out what is the right, you know, music app to use to display mm-hmm. music on the on the PowerPoint on your projector on your smart board, I guarantee you you have a student who knows better than you do how to figure that out. Yes, they will help you set up your iPad, they will get all the music scanned, they'll figure it out for you and they'll feel great that you asked them and admitting that you they're won't good. feel overwhelmed. And you won't feel overwhelmed. And the same thing with saying, I've I've had dozens of students over the years who were demonstrably better singers than I am mm-hmm. and much better actors than I am. And I say, mm-hmm. "Look, You know more about how to sing using your instrument than I do. Mm -hmm. But I know more about singing in general than you do. Mm -hmm. Let me show you what I know, and I think you'll be even better. Tiger Woods has a coach who could never beat him in a game. Exactly. But he still has someone who can show him how to play the game. But do you think Tiger Woods would play with someone who's constantly talking about how much better he is? It's very. It's a very good point. And then consistently underscore and consistently, you know, scoring differently than him. You know, if I, if I walk in and act like I'm this god's gift to music and I know so much and the choir knows so little, they're gonna see it the second I do something wrong. And and you know, you've been there, choir nation. You've been in the choirs where you're waiting for the conductor to screw up. You're just sitting there like, oh, here comes that three four bar out of nowhere. Betty's gonna use a four pattern. Right. You're sitting there like, oh, he's gonna give us the breath. He's gonna look up for this cue. No, he didn't do it. Altos, you really need to watch for that pickup there. No, we don't. You need to cue us. Don't you? Right. There's so much of that yeah, in the choral. Yeah, world. well, welcome to Gladys in the alto section. <laughs> exactly, exactly. In my first, second, and third, you know, unsuccessful uh, church music. My, my last day in in full time church work before I, I took a, a hiatus and now do you know side gigs. Mm-hmm. Um, my last rehearsal with the choir I'd worked with for a while. They they were sitting there. We were going for our last set, and, and a tenor kind of turned around to the guys. He says, "Guys, guys." You know, we're having trouble with the tempo here. If you watch his hands, you can kind of see like where the beat's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, it took you two years to to yeah, that's yeah, that's yeah. you're still not that's and again this this seems amazing to us, but that's my fault. If right. I've been conducting them for two years, I never stopped to say, by the way. The way my hand moves shows you how fast the song right. goes. They don't know that after two years. That's my fault, right. not theirs. It's all your fault. The choir sucks because I suck. I'm so glad that you said that. I'm so that episode 41, guys. <laughs> Your choir sucks because you suck. No, it's true, and you have to take you have to take responsibility. The result the, the result is your fault. Well, and and, fault. We, and the thing is, even if it's not, that is the only helpful mindset to go into a rehearsal with. Because I can't fix Gladys in the alto section. I can't right. make her want to do something. I can educate her in some way, but right. that's an action I'm performing. Right. Which means it was my fault for not performing that action sooner. Right. There's nothing Gladys can you do can without teach, my right, interaction. You can teach her what it takes to be in this ensemble mm-hmm. so that she can make the choices herself. Yes. But the fact that you haven't taught her that yet is your fault. Exactly. The fact that she doesn't know it yet is your fault. Exactly. She can't magically manifest that knowledge out of the ether and yeah. just figure it out. Exactly. No one's supposed to know that. When you, when you look at kids and say, oh, you're singing flat, how are they supposed to know to sing in tune? How are you going to teach them that? Right. You need to do that yourself. Exactly. If they're singing out of tune, no one deliberately ever in their life walked into a choir rehearsal and said, today, I'm going to sing flat, and I'm going to miss the pickup at measure 84, and I'm going to not blend with the basses, and I'm going to really stick out on those high notes, and I'm not going to use my falsetto above the staff. No one made those decisions. Mm-hmm. But we think that by identifying the problem, we've done something. 
We say, that is what's wrong. You are right. You are not singing in falsetto. Right. That doesn't tell anybody them anybody in your choir could get up and probably make the same observation. Probably more of them could because they're in the choir. They're hearing a lot better than most that's, of us are because we have the external sound. They're hearing the individuals around them. Right. And instead of us saying someone in the alto section is flat, I guarantee you half your alto section knows who that someone is. Okay, so now, so now <laughs> strat- I mean, we've been talking about yes. a lot of these things, strategies to get... To get you from the this this mindset of me 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 to the mindset of of them them them, um, they whatever, uh, <laughs> I sound like DJ Khaled. Um, <laughs> they don't want you to succeed. Um, um, so, you know, I mean, I, I think we've been here at Find Your Forte and myself through my blog have been you know putting a lot of strategies out there to you know to you all and. Um, you know, certainly, 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 I want to make sure uh, Topher and I are very active uh, in the Facebook group Choir Nation. Uh, I want to make sure that you know to go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Choir Nation, uh, or you can just search it up in the search bar there and join us there because there are resources, there are discussions that are happening all the time. It's incredibly positive. Uh, and we're just really trying to move the choir world forward uh, to get rid of some of this this ugliness that we see. And I know that um, the things that we're talking about are resonating with a lot of members of Choir Nation. And I know that we're running on long on time, but I, I do um, briefly want to touch on a couple things. We're going to try to keep this under an hour and uh, I want to, you know, tell you about some of the things that Topher was doing, and he'll talk a little bit more, um, and then we'll wrap it up. But uh, Topher recently spent uh, some time on air uh, on MTV, and it was very a very interesting episode. And uh, would you just mind telling Choir Nation a little bit about that? Sure, sure. So it's very interesting having majored in music and been the music guy among most of my friends and family that I showed up on MTV this week and none of my music came through in the actual episode. Uh, the episode was uh, MTV's True Life, which is a sort of documentary style show about individual people doing weird things in their lives. The first episode was about heroin addicts. And there have been episodes about <laughs> there have been episodes about True Life, I Have a Transparent, True Life, I want to turn into a robot true life I made a duct tape dress for prom you know whatever there's weird stuff that people do Mm -hmm. so my episode was true life I'm on smart drugs which is this idea around brain hacking pursuit of genius um, and, and I did a lot during the filming of a lot of strategies around improving intelligence, including, you know, hacking my sleep, doing better study strategies, doing meditation, a lot of different other things other than just strategic supplementation Mm -hmm. of certain substances, which I will flat out say, nothing illegal, nothing prescription, nothing over any lines. I'm very ethical. The other guy on the show crosses some other... He's he's a little weird. He's a little weird. So, uh, so do what you will with, with his part of the episode. But but they wanted to focus specifically in on the on the pharmaceuticals, so that is where the focus of the show went. Mm. I, I mentioned to Ryan, it's just fascinating because I can't watch reality TV anymore, mm. much in the same way that listening to podcasts is very different, mm. having been involved with podcasts, mm. been interviewed on them, and, and edited them many mm. times. Um, it's very interesting to see where the cuts are. You can yeah. tell, oh, there's some music here. Oh, that's because they really needed to cover up some weird... There will be no cuts on this one. <laughs> but now when I watch reality TV, I can see, oh, that was filmed in one one state and that was filmed in a different state. This right. was filmed two months later and there's a reason her hair looks different. Right, right, so right. for me, it was about 100 hours of footage cut down into 20 minutes. 
to try and tell a small story about connection with my family, a pursuit of being really smart, my self-worth being tied into being a very smart person. Mm-hmm. Which, for me, for, for Choir Nation, there's a, a takeaway there that you can think of while you're watching the show or just listening here, that for many of our singers, singing is part of their identity. Mm-hmm. And I ran into this challenge all the time when we try to revoice a singer. You Mm. say, hey, I want you to sing in the soprano section this year. Mm. But the problem is you're not asking her to sing soprano. She is an alto. She self-identifies as an alto. When you say, please sing soprano, you're asking her to change who she is. You're saying, I know you're a Democrat, but just vote Republican this one time. And they're saying, no, that's not who I am. Right. So we need to work with our singers to understand that their art, what they are performing, what they're doing, is separate from who they are as a person. You can identify as a singer without identifying as the thing that you sing. So what, okay, so put this in context with your with your episode. So I can identify as a smart person without needing my self-worth to be tied into being smarter than other people and being the smartest person in the room. Mm-hmm. And that's the struggle I go through in the, in the arc of the 20-minute episode. Mm-hmm. I've known for a long time that was one of my biggest weaknesses. That, that you want to be the I, smartest I want person to be, in the room. I want to be the smartest person in the room. I know there are people smarter than me. If I'm standing around Stephen Hawking or, or somebody, you know, I'm, I'm aware. Mm-hmm. I'm not on the same level. Mm-hmm. But I'm probably the smartest person most of my friends know mm-hmm. in terms of academic, standardized test-type intelligence. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of other kinds of intelligence, but in that realm, I do very well. Right, okay, so part of the, the episode, the episode was focused mm-hmm. right on you... You know, trying to sort of hack your brain to be able to pass a test that would put you in the 99.9 percentile range of... The 0.1%, the top IQ in the world. And it's called, what was in the organization? The Triple Nine Society for 99.9. Okay. So, so... Um, if you know of Mensa, which is the most common high IQ society, Triple right. Nine is twenty times as exclusive. Mensa has about one hundred and twenty thousand members okay. worldwide. Triple Nine has about sixteen hundred. And you had to take a test. Yes, they accept several different exams. Um, there, there's some graduate level exams that you might take going into grad school. Mm-hmm. I took a couple uh, versions of the MAT, the Miller Analogies test, okay. um, and then I also took the ACTs as well. And I actually found out when I when I got to the ACTs, um, I misread the qualifications because mm-hmm. I'm so smart. Mm-hmm. I misread them as saying you're not allowed. To use graphing calculators. It actually was saying you're not allowed to use a specific kind of graphing calculator. Uh, so all the high school kids around me had their TI-81s around, and I'm like, okay, I guess I'm doing it in my head. <laughs> and oh. still passed. Still passed. Oh, so I see. I feel okay. pretty good about that. That's great. Okay, so now you're a member of this <laughs> yes, group. society. You know, what does that give you? For me, rights? It's, it, well, exactly. Okay. In, in, many, in many ways, it does not give me much aside from a connection to a network of other people who've demonstrated a very high IQ, which is interesting. This sounds like be. a very socially awkward group of it people. It is. Very much. So, very <laughs> much. I'll tell you, I've been to Mensa conventions and stuff. They're not where you want to go to like meet friends and casually like mm-hmm. socialize. It's not so high social skills do not tend to correlate very well with high IQ. There are plenty of people who are very social at okay. the high IQs, but it's not a strong correlation. Okay, gotcha. But what it gives me is the same thing that being on MTV gave me. It's a great story mm-hmm. and 60 years from now I can say oh yeah I was on MTV once you mm-hmm. want to check out the episode oh it's pretty cool Yeah, and I can say I, it's very funny this last year before I left Boston mm-hmm. I, I sang as a soloist with the Boston Symphony Orchestra mm-hmm. and on my performance resume what it says is as featured as a soloist with the Boston Symphony Orchestra right. now the full story is there's a 300 person chorus that sings with the Boston Symphony Orchestra right. there's 85 tenors there's 40 Christmas concerts per season right. and so 40 Christmas concerts 80 tenors, if there's a tenor solo, half the tenors are getting solos. And the solo was Stille Nacht, Heilige Nacht, and then the entire choir stands up. 
But the story is featured soloist with the Boston Symphony Orchestra. I will tell the full, full story to anyone who asks. Wait, I'm not deceptive. Who of us hasn't done that? In hasn't shaded a resume in some way. And so the MTV thing, I can say, has featured on MTV, and I don't need to mention it. Had nothing to do with music. Or a real estate agent can list your house as charming, yep. even though it's a dump. <laughs> no. well, what, what they mean is a witch used to live there. So there's there's lots of charms going on around this. Home. Right, exactly. Yes. So the triple nine thing is more bragging rights than anything. I can. It's a good story. I can say, oh, you know, have you heard of Mensa? And they're like, oh yeah, yeah, that's really smart people club. Whatever. I'm like, yeah, I, I was in that for a couple of years, and then I got into an even better one. They're like, oh cool, neat. Right. And that's that's the end of it. That's all it is. Right. But it didn't cost me much, and it's nice bragging rights. It's an interesting story, and it feels good for myself. I like to pursue these things. But too much vocal fry. Too way too much vocal fry in the episode. The first thing I commented on my own Facebook, I was just like, hey, check out the episode, guys. I saw it last night, but way too much vocal fry. I just <laughs> when the cameras are on, you can't be always thinking about vocal technique. It's a good example to show my students of hey, I'm still working on this stuff. I'm trying right. to fix it. I'm human too. Yeah, we all, and that, this is what we were saying before. You know, when you have a student who's killing it, mm-hmm. and just ama- I have a student who was studying at Berkeley mm-hmm. um, for voice, perfect pitch, amazing imitator. He could just flawlessly imitate Michael Jackson. You would never know the difference. Close your eyes. Uh-huh. Amazing musician. Way better than me in every way. Uh-huh. And I sat with him and I said, look, buddy, I know some stuff you don't about music theory mm-hmm. and about, about literacy, mm-hmm. about, about vocal technique, mm-hmm. and especially about blending in a choir. You're a mm-hmm. great soloist. You're an awesome actor. Let me show you what I know. I promise you I will never pretend to be a better performer than you. Because mm-hmm. I'm not. Mm-hmm. And I, I will never, I will always defer to you in those, in those areas. Mm-hmm. But here are the areas that I can help you out with. And he walked into Berkeley, nailed his audition, came with me the next day, you know, hugging me, crying, saying, this is, you know, this, we did this together. And then I, in the two months before he left um, over summer break, I went through the full two years of music theory curriculum. So he was already ready to walk in on day one and just nailed it. He never, he never said, you're not good enough for me. Of course not. Of course, because I admitted that I wasn't. Right. We have to admit that first. Right. You got it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, your, your show would have had zero traction if you walked into Joseph Lummerfeld and started talking down to him and talking about how awesome you were and how much you knew about podcasting and how much you know about yeah. this world. That what people in Choir Nation know is that he's one of the gods. Right. And so they need to see that deference and respect. Well, he also doesn't need. To, he doesn't need to tell anybody he is. He doesn't. He either. doesn't. And that's the thing. The people who are really amazing don't need to tell anyone. Exactly. And that's how you can tell I have ego problems around my intelligence because I do need to tell everyone how smart I am to the point where I go on a national television show about it but I'm also pretty you're a growing boy I am I'm very young I have a lot of faults got a lot lot to work on yeah exactly well listen Topher this has been a wonderful episode I know I know that um you have some links and things yes. that you'd like to share? Yeah, so, so I have a few uh, calls to action for you guys out there. Um, I do have an upcoming book on working with non-singers and people who uh, can't match pitch, believe they can't sing. I take it much more from that spiritual, emotional, uh, mental kind of side of mm-hmm. things more than the technical side. I found in my experience it's much less common to find I, I can't sing as much as you find I won't sing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So taking it from that angle of how do we break down the the prior traumas and stuff people have dealt with in their lives and get them to believe they are a singer first, and then what are some practical strategies to get them to improve their voice over time, should be coming out later this year. You can check out my website, topherkeen.com, T-O-P-H-E-R-K-E-E-N-E.com. I'll also include a bunch of links um, of past talks I've given and some some free resources and things at topherkeen.com slash forte. For any of the listeners here, any specific stuff we mentioned will show up there. So Toberkeen, T-O-P-H-E-R-K-E-E-N-E dot com forward slash Forte, and he will have some goodies there for you. And if you come to the Choir Nation Facebook group, you will definitely see me very active there along with Ryan, and I'm happy to take any specific questions from anything you heard today. If you want to chat about something, hit me up on Facebook, hit me up over email, find me on my website. I'll jump on Skype with you. We can figure something out. Cool. 
Very good, Topher. Thank you. I want to also, uh, just while I have your attention, Choir Nation, uh, make sure that you are aware that tomorrow on The Positivity Effect, this is uh, with Dr. Thomas Retcher, uh, who's a very good friend of mine, uh, I will be a guest uh, two episodes, Thursday and Friday, so tomorrow and the next day, uh, for his, his, uh, his podcast, which is an incredible podcast. Again, Positivity Effect, he has a gigantic audience at this point. And uh, we'll be getting really deep and really personal, and uh, it's a, it turned out to be a really awesome episode. So we'd love to invite you to check that out. So you have some homework. Toferkeen.com forward slash forte. And uh, also check out The Positivity Effect uh, over on iTunes or Stitcher, or wherever you get your your podcasts. And if you haven't subscribed yet to Find Your Forte, open that little purple app on your iPhone, search it up, Find Your Forte, hit the subscribe button. Do the same on your Android. I use Podcast Republic to pick up my my feed on Android. And uh, we're going to leave you with that. Choir Nation, thank you so much for joining. Uh, Topher, thank you so much for being my guest. You have certainly helped Choir Nation to step up to their podium with purpose today. So thank you very much, and uh, say goodbye. Goodbye, Choir Nation. Take care. Thank you for listening to Find Your Forte with Ryan Guth. As always, join Ryan online at www.ryanguth.com for detailed show notes and discussions on every episode. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. Until next time, be amazing.